We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Setting the pace. I'm joined by Michael, the James for Jerry. Fachi, Fachi, what's going on, brother? Oh, Alex, we got a fun one for everybody today. We are bringing on the one, the only, as you would say, Caitlin Cooper to break down everything Indiana Pacers this offseason and much, much more. An episode so big, it's a two-parter. Yeah, so in the first part, you're going to hear all the fun Stuff that happened over the offseason, get Caitlin's thoughts on Jairus Walker, Ben Shepard, Summer League, Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin, all that stuff. Tyrese getting his max extension and her part and what happened with the Slam Magazine. And then we're going to take a break. Then we're going to come back and answer your five questions that we picked from the mailbag section. And we're also going to do a little bit of a fast food draft. So that's going to be in part two. That'll be released on probably late Wednesday night, Thursday morning. So you guys are going to enjoy that. But we want to thank Caitlin so much for coming on. But Bachi, I think we should just go ahead and get out of the way and get to our interview with Caitlin Cooper. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed 
on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, everybody. Joining us now on Setting the Pace, our reoccurring guest, one of our favorite conversations on a monthly basis. It's Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing? I'm back. Happy to be back talking to both of you this time. Last time it was just <laughs> Alex and I, so I'm glad that Fachi is back making this a three-person pod. Yeah, absolutely. And I think last time you were talking about you even prepared for this podcast with some uh, hint of lime chips and Fachi was, Ooh, you know. I did. I did appreciate that. <laughs> I did. I prepared the night before I had salsa with hint of lime chips. I was prepared to tell him about why it was the perfect pairing. And then he had to run off and have a baby. Just imagine. I did. But I, I got to touch on that real quick because I was preparing last night. I had hint of lime with some salsa. Hey. But I hope my wife doesn't hear me. She's in another room kind of cheaped out bought the Wegmans brand wasn't enough hint on there I complained a little bit didn't work out well for me but I when I'm having my hint of lime there's got to be more than just a little hint of lime on the chip so you know for anyone else who who eats those chips you, you gotta go full hint of lime if you're gonna do it what is the what is the brand that you choose well, Tostitos. Exactly. Okay. Tostitos hint a lime. That is the, the real deal. And then there's like the, the non-name brands for like a dollar cheaper. It's not worth it, guys. I'm telling you. I, I guess Spend I just... an extra dollar. I wasn't familiar with the brand that you said your wife bought for the off-brand. So that's why I was kind of like, is this like some, some kind of organic brand or like a fancier brand in New York? I didn't know. Yeah. So Tostitos, you can't go wrong with that. I can't mean... Uh, pretty pretty basic there. But Caitlin, we're excited because we haven't really talked to you since the draft happened, since Summer League happened, since free agency and the Obi Toppin trade happened and the Chris Duarte trade happened. So we got a lot to talk about. I know you've made other appearances on podcasts, but I'm just going to start from the beginning here. Draft night. It comes in. Bilal Koulibaly is the pick. Shocked me and Fachi completely. Uh, <laughs> we were stunned. We're like, okay, Jairus Walker. Like, we, we both felt pretty confident it was going to be him. And then you hear about the trade. So I guess... Just kind of walk me through draft night for you when you were experiencing that with the Bilal being the first player mixed to the Pacers and then uh, quickly transitioning to Jairus. I was pretty confident Koulibaly was not the Pacers pick. So yeah. I was just like, don't tweet out a hot take here. <laughs> we just wait and see what's 
what's materializing here. But I mean, shrewd move by them to pick up a couple other other assets and still get the player that they wanted. I thought that Jarris Walker was going to be their guy. I I didn't make a pick, as you know, I didn't make a personal big board, but I just thought that that's who they would ultimately end up selecting. And then, unfortunately for him, there was some reporting during the pre-draft process that his elbow had been bothering him, but that wasn't mentioned in the lead up to summer league. Now we know that he has had a minor procedure. It sounds like he's still going to be ready to go, but we don't know how much that was impacting him in his shot during those three games that he played in in Las Vegas or four. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, Jarris Walker. It kind of felt he felt confident that he knew he was going to Indiana, and it seemed like that probably was the Pacers' guy all along. But you touched on summer league a little bit. I mean, what were your thoughts on the rookies in summer league? It felt like a little bit of a mixed bag to me. Yeah, Jarris, I mean, from an efficiency standpoint, I don't think that people wanted to see him shoot 8 of 40 on jump shots per se. But again, we don't know what the context of what his pain tolerance was during that. Um, I think he was having to do a lot of stuff that we're not going to regularly see him doing next season, especially, you know, if he does end up coming off the bench similarly to what they did with Benedict Matherin. I don't think we're going to see a lot of Jarris Walker bringing the ball up the floor in a unit that could include TJ McConnell and Andrew Nemhard potentially. Um, so some of that, I mean, it, it's good to see that he's a utilitarian type player and he can do a lot of different things. But then when you go back and watch it, like I've mentioned this before, but when they played OKC, like he was doing some stuff out of four or five pick and roll and OKC's chasing over on those actions. Then in the next game, when they play Dallas, it's like, oh, Dallas is switching and now it looks a little bit different when he can't just get downhill to his floater. He's having to create a little bit more. And like that segment, I don't know how you guys felt about it, but when Jared Dudley was mic'd up in that game against Dallas, like that was a little bit much for me, but it was informative because you got to hear him say like, shrink, shrink. And every time Jarris had the ball, they were shrinking off every shooter except for Ben Shepard. So that was pushing him out to the perimeter a little bit more. And then just because Andrew Nemhard wasn't available and he was having to do more creation and point guard duties I, I didn't feel like we fully got to see more of like him as a screener him doing more as a dho operator that maybe i would have liked to see that i think is probably going to be the better long-term fit for him but it just wasn't really possible with what the roster construction was yeah i will admit the the minute andrew nimhard was not playing for the pacers summer league team yeah a lot of chaos in that backcourt they really didn't have someone to kind of orchestrate things for him and kind of be that leader out there so definitely it took a bit of a step back in that regard and had to put the ball in Jarrett's hands a little bit more, and Isaiah Wong had to take on some of those responsibilities. But I want to go back to the draft because the Pacers kept their 26th pick. You know, they did make some other moves, kind of moved back, picked up some future stuff, whatnot. But they get Ben Shepard there at 26. And there's been some questions, you know, from fans already. Was this the right pick? You know, looking at how he played in Summer League, uh, you know, a mixed bag, kind of good and bad. But overall, I mean, your thoughts on Ben Shepard kind of being there at 26. I mean, what are your expectations for him? And what did you think about that pick? Right. I'll be honest on draft night when they selected him, I hadn't watched any of his games at Belmont. So I didn't really have much of an opinion. And then that night leading up to when I did my post-draft mailbag, I watched as many games as I could of his in full. And I just think he's a player that while it didn't necessarily show up in the first game of summer league, He's the type of guy that you don't really need to run plays for, and I think he's going to be pretty good at playing off of advantages that are created for him, especially if he does manage to get out there in lineups with Tyrese or TJ McConnell. He's very good at sliding into passing windows. He anticipates plays before they happen, and I think you could see some of that even though he only had a couple shot attempts in the first game. And then by the time when Andrew and Benedict weren't playing anymore, they did incorporate a few more uh, actual set actions for him in that third game. And I mean, just to have a guy that like, I don't know, I felt like the Twitter reaction was a little bit more uh, 
negative. I don't want to say negative, but maybe a little bit more against that pick than what I would have thought after watching him play in the summer league games. Because, I mean, he's a guy who in one game hit a three, stepping into one in transition. He came off a screen and made it. He made a one dribble pull-up three. Like, that's a lot of different shot variety, even if you're just seeing him mainly as a floor spacer to get at that pick. I think he's going to need to get stronger. I didn't think his finishing in transition is where it needs to be. And overall at the rim, that's something that he's going to have to continue to work on. But defensively, I thought he had several standout plays. I think he's very good at crashing very hard from the wings, and that actually helped their transition defense at times. Of the players, like if you go back to that fourth quarter when they were playing Oklahoma City and Jarris was playing at the five and they were switching on a lot of the pick and rolls with Chet Holmgren and he was kind of just getting whatever he wanted in the paint against the smalls and then Jarris was struggling a little bit on the perimeter against the switches. I thought Ben, more than anybody else on the roster, was swimming the post and actually trying to impact some of those post-entry passes more than some of the other guys. So um, I mostly liked what I saw from Ben Shepard. I don't know how much he's going to factor into the rotation next year given how much depth they have but I wasn't against the pick mm-hmm. and I think overall I don't think really anybody was watching Belmont games last year for the average NBA fan they're not on TV a guy like Ben Shepard a fourth year senior um it I think fans wanted a little bit more of a sexier higher ceiling type pick the Leonard Millards the Gigi Jackson type players that Maybe they work out, but very well, maybe they don't. Ben Shepard feels like a safe player that they can bring along slowly because shooting's always going to be needed. But do you view him maybe as that longer-term replacement for a guy like a Buddy Heald? We obviously saw he was drafted. Chris Duarte was moved you know, not too long after. Do you see it more of a, hey, year one? Probably not that much, but your shooting is going to be extremely vital in this offense moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty telling at the press conference for Jarris and Ben when Chad Buchanan said that the first thing that Rick Carlisle asks whenever they talk about draft picks is, can this player shoot? In retrospect, it's kind of interesting knowing that information that they selected Isaiah Jackson and Kendall Brown, if those are questions that are asked. But yeah, I mean, I think that especially given that, you know, Chris got moved for the two second rounders, I don't think they're identical players, but they do have similar skill sets. And we know that shooting is very important to what the Pacers do in the half court. And I do think as we get further along into this podcast, we'll probably discuss the fact that the spacing might be a little bit smaller than what we've seen in the past, depending upon what lineups they're running out there. And I was going to touch on what something you had said about Ben Shepard, because I was on local radio here a few different times and they all asked me, did the Pacers make the wrong pick taking Ben Shepard? I'm like, you guys basing this off of two summer league games right now. Like, you know, I think it's a little bit uh, premature to start judging players like this. And you have to realize he's trying to adjust to the NBA, the speed of the NBA, playing with different guys and trying to find out where he belongs. Because if you look at what Ben Shepard was supposed to be with that group of five that started out for the Pacers summer league, he was like their fifth option. So it was just kind of a different, I feel like role for him than what he probably had been used to at Belmont. So it's still uh, it's still like the writing's still on the wall, obviously, for him. Like, we really don't know what is going to happen with him as a player. It's way too early to tell. But I think the Pacers did a good job of addressing the issue of getting some players in here that can help them win right now. And the first person that was mentioned was Bruce Brown. He, he signed a deal pretty much right after free agency started, about 15, 20 minutes into it. Got a two-year deal, $45 million, with the team option on the second year, What were your thoughts on that signing with an already loaded backcourt and how he fits in with this team? 
Yeah, I mean, we all know that they had to get to the salary floor. They had to spend at least $18.5 million. So if you're going to spend that money, I think giving it to Bruce Brown's a pretty big, good investment because he is so malleable. Mm -hmm. There's so many different types of lineups that he can plug into. And the thing that they needed to address the most was their defense. And I think he certainly addresses that. I'm not going to say that he's going to be a stopper against all of these guys. But when I wrote my article, like I found quality possessions against Zion Williamson, quality possessions against Carl Anthony Towns, quality possessions against John Morant, quality possessions against Pascal Siakam. When you can plug a guy around in that many different spots and he can be that portable, that's certainly going to be to the Pacers' benefit, and especially mostly at the point of attack. Because if they're anticipating that they're going to be starting Benedict Matherin, that's important for Tyrese and Ben because Tyrese hopefully will come back to training camp and be physically stronger so he doesn't get overpowered as much as he does on the perimeter. But Ben's screen navigation, even in summer league, I don't think it's quite where it needs to be. So if you can play Bruce against opposing ones and still play Tyrese off of the wing and play Ben and as he continues to learn and grow, not on top matchups against ones, I think that that's to the benefit of the starting lineup to have Bruce out there. And also, like if you do want to move him around even more than that and play smaller, I think that he's capable of doing that as well. And the Pacers really mentioned they wanted to emphasize getting better defensively. Yes, the Pacers had to get to the minimum salary floor, like you mentioned, but signing a guy like Bruce Brown to help defensively, did it make you feel that, okay, the Pacers are serious about improving on this end? Because when you look at it goes hand-in-hand with a guy like Jarris Walker, who also can help defensively. So the signing of Bruce Brown, obviously the Pacers were in a, a great spot to be able to outbid teams. But seeing them really focus on the defensive end and also a player who thrives in transition, did it feel like a a real ideal fit for the Pacers? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that you bringing that up and saying how serious they're taking it, you could tell how serious they were taking it just in game one of Summer League. Like how much you could hear the direction specifically from Jim Boylan and also Jenny Busick. Um, them every, everything they were yelling out to the court was mainly a defensive instruction. I wrote an article about it that people can go read. It's unlocked. It's free. Um, just about what you could learn and their over overhearing on how they were changing their coverages on side pick and rolls and what that might mean for their scheme overall. And like, you could just tell that that's something that's definitely, I mean, it's been a point of emphasis at the last two media days. We know that they've talked about it a lot, that they know they need to get better defensively, but what you just said, like, that was the main selling point for Jairus Walker. Obviously, he has good feel as a passer. There are things that he can do well offensively, but it's mainly what we saw in summer league, how sly his hands are, how proactive he can be on that end of the floor, making emergency rotations. His main ad is what he does defensively. So certainly that was a point of emphasis. It's it's way too early to tell. I know that, but I'm just going off of what we've seen already from Obi Toppin as a player and what you saw from Jairus Walker in college and a little bit in summer league. Do you think there's a better fit next to Miles Turner in that starting lineup in that front court between Jairus and Obi with Miles? That's going to remain to be seen. I mean, I think with Obi Toppin, a lot of it is so much projection because mm-hmm. even if you just want to talk about the defensive fit and who's going to help Miles, Obi only switched on 18% of the picks that he defended with the New York Knicks because that just doesn't factor into Tom Thibodeau's defensive scheme. Now, if you compare that to like when Aaron Neesmith played at the four for the Pacers last year, he switched on almost 70% of the picks that he defended. And Jalen Smith even was at like 30. So Obi's going to be doing a lot more switching. When I look through that and tried to search for games where the Knicks did switching, I talked to somebody I know from Knicks film school and I was like, hey, what games did the Knicks switch out? And he was like, mainly if it was against top tier playmakers. So against Boston, against Philadelphia, you can see when he goes out to the perimeter that he gets stood up some. So, and then also just from the rebounding aspect of this, 
like OB leaks out a lot and the Pacers were already 30th in opponent offensive rebounding rate. So I don't know that that specifically will help Miles. He did transform himself. I will say like in the playoffs, if you watch OB throughout that season, he's not by default a quick trigger three-point shooter, but he became more of a quick trigger three-point shooter as the season went on. I mean, we all saw that when he played against the Pacers and played the way that he did. That's Mm -hmm. an adjustment that he made. So if he continues to knock down those shots, then it would be helpful to Miles not to be getting cross-matched because Miles, we know, plays better when he's defended by fives. If Jarris shoots like he did in summer league, (laughs) I think it's pretty likely that that fives are going to be defending Jarris Walker, um, which was my concern going into this. If I had a concern about Jarris, that's what it was, is that teams would cross-match and what would that mean for Miles' productivity? So... My suspicion, and I don't know where you guys are at, but I suspect that it, it, well, training camp will certainly matter. But my guess is that Obi Toppin will be the starter at this, at, at least at the beginning of the season. I agree with that. More experienced at this point, uh, I believe he's around 25 years old compared to uh, Jarris Walker, who's about 19 years old. So I, I just feel like that experience is going to matter. And look, if it's any telling of what happened with Benedict Mathurin last year, it's not a given that your first round pick is going to be a starter. But Projection. That's what you mentioned about Obi Top, and I think that that is exactly where everybody is. We imagine that he's going to take this big step forward because, you know, he had been playing about 15 minutes per game, which felt like almost criminal because you know that he's got so much more potential than that. But we saw another guy who excels in efficient uh, transition efficiency, and that's the style the Pacers want to play. They want to get out and run, and we've heard that stat like a like a broken record about. Halliburton, Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin being the the three most efficient players in transition. Does it feel like now the Pacers have a true identity of wanting to get out there and be at a faster pace than their opponent on a nightly basis? And they got the pieces around Halliburton now to be able to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting, actually, because like if you look at Impredictable, I think they ranked fourth overall last season in time to shoot. And I think they were second in time to shoot off of a make. They were fourth in transition frequency. So they they were already doing this. Like this was definitely what identity they've determined that this is how Tyrese wants to play. We all saw that within four games of him coming over from the trade. He's clapping for inbound passes. He wants to get the ball and turn it down really quick. So in a way, they kind of just build out their strengths. Like they just leaned further into who they already are. So it's not like necessarily that I think that they're going to run more with Obi Toppin. It's just that maybe they'll do it more effectively and that he isn't going to detract from their play style. And the same thing with Bruce Brown. Like Bruce Brown obviously brings defensive acumen as well. But like I had a a possession in the article that I wrote about Bruce where with the Nuggets were playing the Lakers and the difference in his first three steps by comparison to Dennis Schroeder's first few steps and how the Lakers defended in transition. It was, it wasn't even a race. Like it was just that quick that Bruce is getting out, catching the the hit ahead pass. And like you mentioned Tyrese, like if you look up on second spectrum, Tyrese ranked ranked seventh in the NBA last year in pass aheads. And he played the fewest games of those seven players. So, like, if it was on a per-game setting, he pretty much would have been leading the league in pass-aheads. All right, I'm going to kind of shift a little bit here because I'm excited to say that you were uh, featured in the in the Slam Magazine article that covered Tyrese Halliburton. I thought that was great that you got your uh, you know your opportunity there to share some thoughts on Tyrese. And it feels like this has been the summer of Tyrese. I mean, just him getting the max extension, the cover, USA Basketball, and you know, now we got the all-star game coming here to Indianapolis as well. So I guess just kind of talk about the extension and then maybe the article and your your thoughts on what Tyrese is just bringing to this franchise that they've desperately needed for a long time. 
Yeah, I mean, I think signing him to that five-year extension, especially when he doesn't have a player option in the fifth year, is huge. Like, that mm-hmm. was the most important thing that the Pacers were going to do this summer. I think it was kind of, to a degree, a foregone conclusion, of course. Like, he was going to want to sign for the most money possible, and it's good to know that he likes it here. And it, he talks about being Midwestern and how much he appreciates the Pacers team culture and wanting to be here. But, um, you know, I think it has been the summer, like the slam article was interesting because I knew for like two weeks that that was coming out and I I didn't know when it was coming out. They didn't tell me which issue it was going to be. And so then when they shared that like silhouette the night before, I was like, oh, I guess that that's coming out <laughs> tomorrow then. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. And, you know, I think everything about Tyrese, too, is like what we just talked about. Like, if you look back at their most recent, like, quote unquote, all stars, whether, you know, Sabonis, Victor Oladipo, Paul George, I think of those three guys and with Tyrese, and I'll let you guys weigh in here, too. I think that this is the most that they've ever leaned into building a team with a player in mind and with a specific identity in mind, because certainly the roster around Sabonis was never built with Sabonis as being like their franchise star player. That never really occurred. I think that they did build around Victor's strength to a degree, but even when they talked about Victor, it was like, we have a complementary core. Like we have five guys who we think fit together. And like, yes, Victor is the best player, but like it was never to this extent. And also to have Tyrese being like a partner effectively in decision-making and in this partnership, that was not something that was happening with those prior three players in the least, really in my outside opinion, mm-hmm. at least. No, 100%. It feels that, that the Pacers front office has learned a lot from some of the, however you want to call it, mistakes, mishaps, anything of the past that led to players wanting to go elsewhere or be able to be a part of more winning teams. But with Tyrese Halliburton now being the true face of the franchise and being able to do things like be an all-star, play for Team USA, even Bruce Brown mentioned it. Hey, Tyrese recruited him. Obi Toppin mentioned that they've been friends since the 2020 draft. How huge do you think it is to have a guy like Tyrese Halliburton who's not afraid to get out there and recruit, but is also doing it on the bigger stage of being featured in things like a Slam magazine or or Team USA and that stuff? I mean, I think just his play style alone is going to be recruitment enough yep. when you think about it. Like, you know, people want to run with him in transition like it's a dangling carrot, if you can imagine, because they know they're going to get the ball when they run. Like, if you, if you don't think you're going to touch it, I mean, I think Bruce Brown even kind of talked about that on a recent podcast, right? Like the difference between playing with Jokic and playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And maybe that played in part like, you know, yes, he was going to get more money to come here than what Denver could offer him. But he's also playing with Tyrese, who I hope people don't take this comparison the wrong way but in many ways Tyrese is kind of a point guard version of Jokic in terms of he is very pass first he wants to be inclusive he wants to involve his teammates so I'm sure that's a big factor for a lot of guys plus I mean if if you're a player's agent all you have to do is look up really quick and be like oh look at Miles Turner's two-point percentage when he's being passed to or he's on the floor with Tyrese versus when he isn't like, mm. what's that going to do for my guy if I send them to Indiana so yeah. I mean I think his play style alone is a pitch enough No, and I agree. And I wanted to touch on what you were talking about, too, with the former players that were kind of built around here. And I think I think Paul George probably was the closest one to Tyrese. But I think Larry Bird was so old school and he even talked about it. You know, he don't make the decisions around here, kind of trying to force him to play the four like Larry. um, Paul George has even talked about it. Like, yeah, I didn't really talk with Larry about what I was thinking. I mean, I would tell him stuff. And there's been that. Anthony Davis stuff that's always been going around for the past couple of years from Paul George and saying that's who he wanted to, to get to come play here and the Pacers wouldn't do it. But I think that 
this era of Pacers basketball has one shifted because I think Rick Carlisle has made an emphasis on that since he came in. You can kind of tell his handprints been on what's going with going on with the Pacers um, front office in terms of just how they communicate with their players, because they really let Rick kind of be in the forefront of that front office to kind of represent the communication between the players and the front office, I feel like. Um, but I, I definitely still feel like Tyrus has a great relationship with those guys as well. And they've just kind of leaned into it way more than ever and allowing Tyrese to feel like he's that important to be able to recruit players here where Paul wasn't really able to kind of do that. I think that that's just a total shift in how they're trying to build Indiana up as this basketball, you know, organization that really wants to be put on the map and be a team that can win in a small market because the NBA to me with all the new CBA stuff, and I've heard people talk about this, they're trying to get more parity in the league and trying to get less player movement. And I think that's beneficial for a small market like Indiana, but we're still going to see it happen no matter what, because the NBA is just completely different. So I think that the Pacers have their, they have everything, their ducks lined up in a row right now. Caps are clear. They got their franchise guy. I still think they're a ways away, Caitlin, from really becoming a serious playoff contender. But I think getting to the playoffs this year is a very realistic uh, goal for them. And I don't know how you feel, but it's not the West. I feel like the East is still a little bit weaker than that Western Conference. So still a good opportunity for them to at least get into that 7-10 to 10 range if they can't get into the top six. Yeah, I think that's about where I would have them is hovering outside the the playoff range right in the play-in tournament. I think that that's realistic. I mean, they they won they went 26 and 22 in the games when Tyrese and Miles were both available, which would put them at a win win rate of 44 and that's before they added Obi Toppin, before they added Bruce Brown and what their depth situation is going to be. So that would be putting them I think right at about 8th or 7th in the East last year and I think for them to make a push and actually make the playoffs, I think that they have to at least be a top 20 defense, which mm-hmm. I think the defensive rating would be about 114. So in those games that I just mentioned, when Tyrese and Miles both played, they scored 115.4 points per 100 and not just in the minutes when Tyrese and Miles were out there, just as a team in those games. So I think that would put them at a net rating of about 1.4. And then that would mean they'd be about seventh in the Eastern conference based on last year. And that's not me taking into account what other changes were made <laughs> for other teams, but I think it is realistic to see them in that seven, eighth hole in the, in the play in tournament. I think that's definitely in play. Yeah. I totally think that if that's the case, what I love is that the mentality going into this season is totally different than last year. I don't care what they tried to tell us. It was more along the lines of, hey, guys, you know, this is going to be a you know a different t- I don't remember the words, but it felt like it was, this is going to be a different type of year, going a different direction. Now it feels like we can have those expectations of being a playing team, maybe making the push for, for six. But I also love the fact that the Pacers didn't force their hand. They kept their options open where they have a good team this year, but they also have they own all their first round picks. They own an additional first round pick. The books can be clean at any point in terms of if they wanted to potentially use Bruce Brown as a trade as a trade chip. They have expirings in a Buddy Heald or essentially a Daniel Tice and, and things like that. So do you feel that the Pacers are tiptoeing that line of being competitive now, but still keeping their eyes on a bigger picture of being able to get to that next level when the timing is appropriate? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the way that I would characterize it, right? They're trying to make a surge for the playoffs, but they're also trying to build long-term around Tyrese. And I think, you know, I believe Chad had a quote somewhere along the lines of who he was discussing options that they had around the draft. And he said, 
you know, that it would be risky in their business, that there was there were several players that they tried to acquire and trade, and that some of them were on expiring contracts. I'll let all the listeners, you know, speculate on who these players were that were on expiring contracts, but they they thought it was too risky to give up number seven as a small market team if they didn't know that that player was going to want to re-sign or sign an extension. And I think that speaks to where you're at right now. Because again, I'll let you guys weigh in, but there will have to come a point in time, I think as a small market team, where you're going to have to be willing to take a risk like that. Mm -hmm. That you're going to, in order to get another all-NBA caliber player in the door next to Tyrese Halliburton, you're going to have to take a risk and bet on the fact that, hey, we're going to win enough games. That player's going to like playing with Tyrese enough that we're going to take the chance. And at the end of the year, hopefully we can re-sign them. But I do agree with Chad that I don't think that they have to do that right now this season, that they didn't need to necessarily put their chips in. So if that's where you stand as a franchise, that you weren't ready to take that risk yet, then I think that you still need to balance player development with that surge to the playoffs. And I think that there are ways for them to do that, but I think we can also look at the depth chart and be like, oh, well, if Benedict Matherin's starting and you're paying Bruce Brown $22.5 million, he's probably starting. Can't imagine you're going to pay him that sum of money to come off the bench. So that would mean that Andrew Nemhard most likely not starting. And what does that mean if he's now like played very well in summer league? We didn't even talk about him. I felt played very well in summer league, looked ready to run a bench offense at the very least. Is yeah. that going to happen? Like his reward for playing really well in summer league might be a a smaller role next to TJ McConnell off the bench. So I think that you still have to find a way with the depth that they have that you're still optimizing those younger players while making this push for the playoffs. So hopefully they can walk that line. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break here. This is going to be part one of the podcast. So if you want to hear the rest of our conversation with Caitlin, we want you to come back for part two, which will be released tomorrow. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.